Good afternoon. It's good afternoon in Newfoundland. Okay. I grew up with that. I don't know why they're a half hour different. Okay, you could write that in your notes if you wanted to, but uh, as Bill was saying, we are actually rounding the corner. This is, uh, Jesus has been given this sermon and he's in conclusion, he's almost to that point. Uh, we're starting chapter seven today and, <clears throat> and uh, chapter seven is the final chapter in this, in this sermon that Jesus gave. And you know, I've been talking with many of you, lots of good conversations, I've received emails and uh, text messages from many of you, and, and a common thread has been, man, this has been a really good series, and with many people followed up by, but boy, it's been really hard at times. And uh, it sounds like, well, uh, that God has been lovingly pressing into areas of our lives and uh, areas that he wants to change with the intent of making uh, you and I, making us into kingdom people, people who increasingly look more, think more, act more, talk more uh, like Jesus. And the fact that that's happening in this series, or really any series, but especially in this one, doesn't, uh, shouldn't surprise us at all. If you remember, and this is way back at the beginning of, the, of, this, of this series, in chapter four of Matthew, Jesus, he starts his earthly ministry, and the first word out of his mouth was, repent, right? It was repent, for the kingdom of God has come. And what does repent mean? Repent means turn around. Repent means turn around. Repent means you're going this way. You need to do a 180 and do this way. And the fact that the very first words out of Jesus' mouth, or word out of his mouth is repent, tells us as, as human beings that we must be living our lives in the wrong direction. Right? So we need to turn around. <clears throat> and then at the start of this sermon, it says in chapter 5, it says that Jesus sat down and began to teach them. So not only are we heading the wrong direction and need to turn around, uh, but there's obviously a whole bunch of things we don't know that we need to be taught. And Jesus has come to teach us those things. And so again, it doesn't surprise me at all that God's been pressing into different areas. And, and one of the ways that God teaches us, one of the ways that God turns us around is through other people. Uh, think about this, God is God. And he could just push the heavenly easy button anytime, right? It could be clap on, clap off, everyone's fixed, if you will. Everyone is, is restored to right relationship with their maker. Everyone gets it. Everyone understands God. Everyone, uh, everyone understands their purpose. I mean, it, could, it would be so simple uh, for, for God to do that all by himself, but he doesn't, does he? I mean, the truth is he does all the heavy lifting, but God is a father who loves to do his work with and through uh, his kids. Uh, the passage we're going to look at today addresses one of the ways that God uses us in each other's lives. And in Matthew 7, it, it kicks off with Jesus talking about you and I judging each other. Awesome. We've been waiting for this one. We're going to learn how to judge each other. This is great. Uh, but it, what it means is, really, what he wants to teach us is how to judge uh, correctly. See, judging incorrectly is when you, uh, you know, when you've, uh, uh, you know, belittled someone or condemned someone. That's not that's not judging correctly. Judging correctly is when you judge for the purpose of being used by God to further His work in in another person's life. And in this passage, we're going to look at Jesus uses a great picture 
to show us what this process looks like. And he, and he uses this picture where it's like, it's like you removing a speck of dust or sawdust from somebody else's uh, eye. And, and you know, if we had the time to hand a microphone around the room, I bet we'd hear stories of, uh, some of your stories of where you were judged incorrectly. And they might even be painful stories where someone, you know, either embarrassed you or humiliated you or maybe someone you felt written off by another person, all within, all in the name of, all in the context of discipleship, where a brother or sister is, you know, trying to come alongside you to correct you, uh, trying to remove a speck from your eye, and they, and, and they maybe did more damage than good in the process. I would also hope that there would be some stories uh, today of people here that you were judged correctly, where someone came alongside with love, with patience, with sensitivity, and they, you know, and God used them to remove uh, a speck from your eye. Um, earlier this year, uh, my wife Helen and I, we lost a very dear friend uh, back in Canada. Uh, uh, her name was Joy. And Joy was a lady who was super influential in Helen's life and my life. She walked with us through dating, uh, getting engaged, getting married, uh, um, having kids, moving into ministry, all kinds of things. And I would say, uh, of all the people I've known, God has used Joy to correct me more than any other person. She has had, in the past, many, many hard conversations with me about areas in my life that needed to change. And this may be really hard to believe, but there were many times, looking back in the past, there were many times where I would be with a group of people, or I would be up in front of the church, and I would say something or do something that would fall into the inappropriate category. And that might be a shocker. I know when I wrote it down, I'm like, what, your honor? You know, I object. But but many times, <laughs> I don't know why they gave me a microphone but in those days, but, but there were many times where I'd come off the stage thinking, I was hilarious, and, and uh, I would look, and there would be Joy standing there. And many conversations started with, now, Michael, you know I love you. And, and she would proceed to gently correct me. And, and it was hard, it was very humbling, but you know what I always knew? I always knew that Joy was doing it, this sensitive operation of removing a little speck of sawdust out of my eye. I always knew that she was doing it because she loved me and because she wanted me to become the man that God intended me to be. She was judging me correctly. God was using her to further his work in my life. And today, as we look at this passage, uh, he wants to teach us more about judging and, and how to judge correctly. So let's pray, and then we'll look at Matthew 7. So Lord, uh, thank you for, uh, again, just another wonderful weekend. And I pray today in this service, I pray that you wouldn't let us sort of slip into routine. Don't let this be just another Sunday service. Lord, this service has never happened before. And you are here, and you love us, and you know us, and so we, as we sang today, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. We welcome your rule and reign. Come do a work, come teach us how to be a people who keep in step with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 
Matthew chapter 7, if you want to turn there in your Bible, we have Bibles at the front, back, and we actually have large print Bibles back there. Uh, if you need one like that. They're also going to be on the screens, but Matthew 7, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 6. Here's what Jesus said. He said, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay. So in this first section here, we're going to be focusing in on, the, on verses 1 and 2. And again, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And at first glance, when we look at this, it would be easy to read this and think, oh, you know, I guess Jesus is saying as his followers that we shouldn't judge anyone. It would be easy to read those two verses and come to that conclusion that I guess, I guess we just need to withhold using discernment. Uh, you know, if I, if I see you, if you see me and we're acting or saying something or doing something in a way that just totally contradicts what God would say that we should, you know, say or do, that I guess I should, if I see that, I, I should just keep it to myself and just be nice, right? Okay, that's not what he's saying. So number one of your notes is judging incorrectly. For our note takers, judging incorrectly Right, so that, what I just said is not accurate. It would be easy to read those verses and, and think that way, but it's not accurate. And here's a study tip when you're reading your Bible. When you read the Bible and you come to a section, just like we read, and you go, well, what does that mean? When you just look at those two verses, a study tip is you always need to look, in the con look at the context that that verse or those verses are in, right, to determine uh, what is being communicated. Another way to put it would be, don't just look at one little leaf Sometimes in understanding the intent of what was being said, what, uh, you need to look at the whole branch. Or sometimes you need to look at the whole tree to get a sense of what, is being, uh, uh, what, what, they're, what they mean by what they're saying. And, and so what we'll see as we progress through this passage is that the meaning isn't don't judge. The meaning is when you judge, judge correctly. In verse 6 which is a bizarre verse, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, like dogs and pigs, and it's a really weird verse. But if you look at verse 6, really what it is saying, it's actually saying, you know, it is talking about you and I judging other people. It's talking about you and I using discernment to determine who those dogs and pigs, which is really strong language to us, but really it's talking about not just unbelievers, which sounds harsh, but it's talking about people who are resistant to the things of God, who are mockers of the things of God. And what it's really saying it is, uh, it's saying, you know, and so judging those people correctly, Jesus is saying about a person like that, he's saying it's probably not the right time to try to do eye surgery on that person. And so he's not saying uh, don't judge. In fact, we, we're told in the Bible that we are supposed to judge. There's uh, one of Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul. He was used to plant all these churches, and, and his, his practice was he would send them letters, just how you doing, and checking up on them, giving, you know, teaching them, etc. 
And there was one church in a city called Corinth. It was like Las Vegas, if you will. They were, it was Sin City. And, and this church was out of control. I'm sure they were huge because it was like anything goes in this church. And Paul is like, what? He got a, you know, he got an email from somebody, Paul, they're out of control. Or, but he, so he writes him a letter. And in, in this letter, he's literally just going through point after point saying, you guys, you guys, are, you guys are out of control. You are not living as followers of Jesus should, should live. And after one really harsh section, he ends off by saying this in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, hey, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are, we not, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Now, what is he saying? Paul is teaching that as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to judge. But who do we judge? We judge any other person who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian. If someone says, I'm not a Christian, we have no right to judge them. That's between them and God. But it's actually saying, we, Paul is saying, we need to learn to judge each other correctly. But here's, a, here's my context for today. The truth is, you and I, we are so prone to judge everybody, in church, out of church, wherever. And so the question for today is, you know, not so much as, it's not do we or don't we judge, the question is, how then do we judge correctly? And that's a super important question to ask and to answer because judging is serious business. There's a warning. Jesus gives us a warning in the second verse. He says, you know, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And this is pointing forward to the golden rule verse, which JT is going to cover next weekend. You know, uh, do unto others as you would have done to you, right? And, and, and basically it's pointing at, hey, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Or in the context of what we're talking about today, judge other people the way that you would want to be judged. Now, at this point, let me define what I mean by judging, because that's like this huge category. It could, it could go lots of different ways. Uh, in the New Testament, it was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word that's used throughout the New Testament for judging is, we can throw it up here, it's krino. And the, and the uh, definition is to consider, decide, or judge. And when I read that, I thought, well, thanks for nothing. <laughs> that's not, that's not, a very helpful, not a very helpful definition. Um, but again, remember our study tip, you need to look at the context. So if we look at the branch Right? The sermon that we've been going through, the Sermon on the Mount. If we look at the, the, at the context of the whole Sermon on the Mount, what we see is Jesus has come to teach us. He's come to teach us how to live in a way that is pleasing to him. Right, Kingdom people, followers of Jesus. And all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, one of the ways that Jesus teaches us is by pointing out the errors of the, of the Pharisees. right? The teachers of the law. And, and you know, when you look at it, it's like, boy, he is not... He's not very nice, right? He's, he's obviously not a Canadian. He is not very nice. And he, you know, and over and over, he's calling them hypocrites, right? The Pharisees, these teachers of the law, he's really ripping into them. And, and again, remember, a hypocrite is a play actor. A hypocrite is someone who's playing a part. In this case, playing the part of a follower of Jesus. And, you know, I think Jesus went after the Pharisees so strongly because uh, their role within the Jewish culture was so powerful and so influential. They literally sat as judges over the people. Right? They, were, they were God's representative judges over the people. So in defining judging, again, you can go lots of different ways. Judging can just be 
being critical of another person or you know, picking things out. I guess that's being critical of another person. But in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, with Jesus pointing out the errors of the Pharisees, the type of judging we're talking about is way more than just being critical. It's condemning another human being. It's making a judgment call that is way beyond our pay grade, if you will. What we see with the Pharisees is what they were judging is the people's ability to obey the rules, the commands that God had given. And so they would pass judgment over the people. And here's where we see the hypocrisy, is they were playing a part. They were playing the part of God, right, in determining who's obeying and who's disobeying. Uh, They were making judgment calls on who's clean, who's unclean, uh, who's accepted by God and who's rejected by God. They were religious referees, tweet, you know, blowing the whistle when anyone would step out of the religious uh, bounds, if you will. So in defining judging, what I mean is it's looking at another human being and making a judgment call as to whether or not they are living in a way that pleases God, whether or not they're obeying his commands. It's making a judgment call on whether or not a person is accepted or rejected by God. So that is an example of judging incorrectly. And what we see in the Pharisees, the Pharisees had the commands of God, but they did not have the eyes or the heart of God. So number two in your notes is judging correctly. Right, judging correctly. So let's read on. Matthew 7 verse three says this. Jesus continues. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I grew up in the church. I went to Sunday school, flannel board, high tech. But I I used to love uh, this story because it is such a cool visual that Jesus gives us. I mean, that is such a clear picture, right? Again, what we see is really, I think we're getting a taste of carpenter Jesus, right? He was a carpenter. He totally knew the difference between a speck of sawdust and a big old plank of wood. And he's given us such a great picture. He does this a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. He's using hyperbole. It's, this is such an extreme picture, but he's, he's showing it to us to, to make a point. I mean, just, just imagine what he's saying. I mean, can you imagine someone with a big old, you know, plank in their eye? That's what this means, right? Big old plank in their eye coming up to you saying, hey, I see a little speck in your eye. You want me to get that? And you're like, no, thank you. Right? They're coming at you. I mean, that is like a recipe for disaster. So we have this great picture. And I said in the intro that God chooses to use us to further his work in each other's lives. And again, in the story I told you about our friend Joy, Joy saw a speck of sawdust in, uh, in my eye, and her seeing was based on a judgment call. I was up front doing something, and she judged me. That's what she did. She judged me. And the specks that she saw were ways that I was acting and talking that were not pleasing to God. And because she loved me and wanted me to grow in my faith, she pointed them out to me. And again, God used her to do this sensitive work of removing the specks. She judged me correctly. So in the passage that we just read, Jesus was saying, you're not judging correctly because you're seeing the specks of sawdust in someone else's eye, 
but at the same time being totally oblivious to the plank in your own. And if you look at the passage that we read, if you really look at it, the issue is not the speck in another person's eye. The issue that Jesus is getting at is the big old plank that's in our eye. And I don't know about you, but I am way better at spotting specks in your eye than I am at spotting planks in my own. Does that make sense? Like, I'm way better at, at that. You know, I've heard it said this way, that my sin looks way worse on you than it does on me, right? I mean, and we work really hard to cover up our planks. It's like I come in with these big pieces of wood. Hey, you get some new glasses? Yeah, they're made of wood. You know, it's like 500 bucks from Sweden. You know, it's like we do everything we can to cover up those things. But again, God's plan is to use us in each other's lives. And as long as you and I have planks in our eyes that impair our spiritual vision, we are not very useful to God. So what do I mean by planks? A plank is any attitude, belief, conviction, action, or opinion by which we condemn or write off another human being. Strong words. Any attitude, belief, conviction, action, or opinion that does not line up with the word of God. And here's something we, I know I need to be reminded over and over and over. When, excuse me, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't sit down and say, hey, gather around everyone, I wanna teach you. I wanna teach you another option in life. Like he didn't do that. That's not, that's not what Jesus was teaching us. He came announcing the kingdom, the king of all kings came to earth and sat down and he said, let me teach you how things work in my kingdom, right? What he came was, he wasn't giving us an option, he was giving us the standard. And what we need to be reminded, I know I need to be reminded is that my opinions are not the standard, right? It is the word of God that is the standard. And for you and I to be useful in God's hands, for us to be effective, you know, in the lives of that person he sends us to or that group of people that he sends us to, he first needs to deal with the planks in our own eyes. And there's a great example uh, of this whole process in the book of Acts. And it's, uh, Acts is a really cool book. It, it documents the, the start, the beginning of the Christian church on planet Earth. It's really amazing. And, uh, and what you see is the church starts in Jerusalem and then really quickly spreads out and goes out to uh, into, you know, other nations, uh, et cetera. And, and, and in this story that we're going to look at, there is a disciple named Peter. And in the story, God wants to send Peter to a, a people group that Peter doesn't like. Really, and, uh, it's a people group that Peter has determined is not uh, a, a group of people that are not worthy of hearing the good news about Jesus. Totally written them off. And I would say that, we would call that a plank. Uh, in Peter's eye, and so God goes after the plank in, in his eye, and in the story, uh, Peter must be staying at an all-inclusive because he's, uh, he's hungry and someone's making him lunch, and while lunch is being prepared, he goes up, it says he goes up on the roof and he's, he's gonna take some time to pray, and while he's praying, he has this vision where whew, this sheet drops down from heaven, and the sheet just you know, stops right in front of him, and on this sheet are all these animals that that a Jew would never eat, right? And a voice from heaven says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, what? And he says this, he says, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. 
The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. See, God was pointing out a plank in, this, in, in these vision or visions. He did, we'll see a little later. It happened three times. God was pointing out a plank in Peter's eye. And what really, let's call it what it is. It was a plank of racism. Peter despised Gentiles, right? Jews were, he was raised in a nation where they were taught to despise Gentiles. Pigs and dogs, they called Gentiles dogs. That's how they call it, what they called them, what they thought of them. And, and now God was getting ready to send Peter to the very people that he totally despised. And so Peter has this vision three times and right after the third time, the sheet goes up, there's a knock at the door. Right? Peter goes down, opens the door. Here's some guys there, and they say, hello. Hello, says Peter. But they say, hello, our master, Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, a Roman is a Gentile, a non-Jew, our master has sent us here to ask if a man named Peter would come with us back to his home and teach us about Jesus. Right? And so Peter goes with them in the story. And Peter's a smart guy, so he's walking, you know, with these guys, with these Gentiles, right, people that he despises. He's walking with them, I think all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. I think I'm, I think I'm starting to get what that vision was all about. And suddenly, I think what's happening is that big old plank in his eye is starting to get loose, starting to fall out. And he is looking around at these Gentiles around him, and he's starting to see them differently. He's starting to see them the way Jesus sees them. And he gets to Cornelius' house and he walks into you know, this house. And here's a great way to you know, start off when you go to someone's house. Verse 28, Peter told them, hey, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. I can just imagine that. I don't think he said it that way. But, 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 God, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure unclean and then Peter starts telling them about Jesus and God totally you know disrupts his message Uh, verse 44 while Peter was still speaking these words the Holy Spirit whoosh came on all who heard the message the circumcised believers the Jews his entourage who had come with Peter they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now look, I underlined those sections because look at that. I mean, I know this story, many of you are familiar with this story, but what does that say about how much these Jewish guys, Peter and his buds, what does it say about how much they despised and had written off these people? That they're sitting there going, what? You've got to be kidding me. Like, what happened to us, the Holy Spirit coming on us, it's happening to them, right? I mean, like, they were astonished. They just could not believe. I mean, they're like, it makes sense for him to come send it, pour his spirit out on us. We're the Jews. It makes sense, but it makes no sense for him to pour his spirit out on these guys. I mean, even on Gentiles, right? Even on Democrats, this gets it going. Now the room's getting, now we're getting, even on Republicans, even on black people, white people, Hispanic people, Asian people, even on Canadians. Go figure. That's just, but I mean, but think about this. The spirit, divorced people, people living together, straight people, gay people. I mean, you fill in the blank. 
I know this is stretching. You fill in the blank with the person or persons you don't think is worthy of the gift of God. Right? Can you think of anyone that God would say, nope, you're not worthy? I mean, that really hits home, doesn't it? See, plank removed from Peter's eyes, suddenly Peter was very useful in God's hands. God used this crazy vision to teach Peter to see people the way God does. Peter, don't call anyone impure that God has made clean. And we sang it all morning. We sang about the cross. We celebrated the cross in communion. You know, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished, right? The, the work, this rescuing work is finished. Now every human being, because of what he did on the cross, has been made clean. But they need to come and collect, right? They need to collect. And, and so, and, you know, and if you're here today, I mean, that's God's invitation to you. That's, he's offering that to you today. He has covered the debt of your sin. Any offense to God, any mess up, screw up, whatever you would say, God says, it's on me. I will cover that. And in return, I'm offering you friendship with God and a relationship with God. And here's the thing. God wants to do that invitation, that offering through you and through me. Could you, could you imagine in the story if Peter resisted God's attempt to remove the plank? Vision, Peter's like, whatever. You know, knock on the door. He goes down, opens the door. Hello? Hey there. Uh, our master, Cornelius, he's a Roman centurion. Peter slammed the door, chapter 11, right? It would be like suddenly chapter 10 got really short. And it's like, I mean, could you imagine, right? To judge correctly, listen to this quote, to participate in what God wants to do through you, you first need to participate in what God wants to do in you. See, I mean, I'm looking around this room at all of you, and there are people in your sphere in your home, in your neighborhood, where you work, where you play, you go to school, all the stuff of life, there are people that God wants to use you to introduce Jesus to them. He wants to use you. And before, you know, and, and, to, and to further, he wants to use you to further God's work in their life. And before you can do any eye surgery on them, God needs, needs to, wants to, do some eye surgery on you. You know, uh, I've been taking a course online through an organization called the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Really cool course, really excellent. And it's a, it's a Bible-based look at our very fast-changing world, especially in the area of LGBT. And it's, and it's walking through it. Again, it's, it's excellent. It's very stretching. And I would say that the LGBT community is one that I feel called to. And here's what I mean by that. Is I just want to learn more. I want to understand more, and I and this. Let me be really honest. Uh, I don't think I despise that community the way Peter despised the Gentiles. But here's what I've been seeing in my heart: that the, because there's so much I don't understand, some of what I see, some of what I hear scares me. Some of what I see, some of what I hear makes me very uncomfortable. Some of what I see, some of what I hear, again, to be really honest, makes me makes me angry. And, 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 you know, uh, in that place and then really processing this with the Lord, uh, a couple months ago, I reached out um, to two ladies who next year they're going to get married to, to each other. And I said, hey, could we meet for coffee? 
And would you just let me ask you questions? And they were incredibly gracious uh, to sit down and let me fumble through <laughs> my questions. And uh, they were gracious, they were honest, they answered questions, they shared their stories, and really it was a wonderful time. And, um, and one of the things uh, that I've been learning in this class, there was a report done that in, in, in the United States, of all the men and women who would identify as gay, just over 80% were raised in the church, which was that really jumped out at me. And of that 80 plus percent, just under 3% of those people in this survey said that they left the church because of the church's traditional biblical stance on marriage, which we totally adhere to, right? That marriage is between a man and a woman. But what about the other you know, 77% or so? Well, what this survey showed is that many of them, not all, but many of them left the church because they were asked to leave the church. And oh, that really, really hit home. Sorry, Jesus doesn't want you. And so as I sat with this couple, and we talked, we drank a lot of coffee, <laughs> uh, about an hour and a half, we, we ended our time, and there were hugs all around, and I got in my car, and normally when I get in my car, the first thing I do after I started is, and put on my seatbelt is uh, crank up some music. And, but this time, I, it was just quiet. It was down in Polaris. I was driving up 71, uh, and it was quiet. And I was just thinking over the evening, very stretching, very stretching evening. And uh, as I was driving, I just felt like the Lord came close and just started, I think you call it conviction, just started pointing out some planks. You know, suddenly it was like, hey, I've got enough wood here to build a small storage shed. But, uh, but literally going through the conversation, and, uh, you know, uh, and I'm praying and I have my eyes open, but, I, but he just going through the conversation and he was showing me moments in the conversation where I wanted to correct them, where I wanted to argue this point or argue that point. Uh, where I wanted to quote the sort of put you in your place Bible verses. Uh, times where I wanted to condemn them and write them off. And that was, a, that was a humbling drive on 71. And the sense I had from the Lord was a very fatherly, that's a lot of wood you've got there, son. You know, Home Depot suddenly showed up, a big sticker on my car. But he said, do you want to... Let's start dealing with these planks. You want to start working through these. And so that's what I'm going to end off with. Number three is judging with humility. Uh, in the Matthew 7 passage, the people were judging incorrectly. Again, remember this, because they weren't paying attention to the planks in their own eyes. And if we're going to judge correctly, if we're going to judge hum uh, with humility, we need to pay attention to those planks. And what do I mean by that? We need to pay attention when we're, when it's, and again, you know, there's, there could be all kinds of different people. Like for, I'm, I'm using the example of LGBT because I'm preaching on planks and that's a very current one that God's working on my heart. I'm also preaching on this because you know what? This is an issue that impacts families in our church. Whether it's your son or daughter that has come out as gay or your niece or nephew or aunt, I mean, we need to talk about this. 
because it's impacting a lot of people. So, but you could fill in that in with whatever issue, right? But that person or that people group, that person could be in your, in your home. But uh, those strong emotions, those judgmental emotions that you feel towards that person, you need to first see that as like a dashboard light flashing at you. And that's God saying, oh, oh, oh son, daughter, we need to talk, right? Maintenance, <laughs> maintenance required. Could it be that this... This strong opinion, this strong emotion going off inside you right now, you know, when you think about that person, when you, or maybe it's on the news, you hear that news report or you read that Facebook post, could that be a plank? See, that's humility, taking the time to really, you know, could that be a plank? Could, could that strong opinion, that strong emotion be the tip of what we saw in Peter's life, be the tip of a generational iceberg? And what I mean is that, that there's, a, there's a person or a type of people that you just Write them off. And if you were honest today, you'd say, I don't know why I despise or have such strong negative emotions towards them. I don't know why. Like, could it be, could it be that, you know, that is like a generational iceberg? See, to judge correctly and with humility, when we notice the speck in others or we feel those strong emotions before we go to them or say anything about them or post anything about them, we need to go to God. And we need to go to God and have an eye exam and just say, Lord, you know, are, these, are there any planks in my eyes? I mean, search my eyes, Lord. Search my, search my heart, Lord. And, and here's some practical things. Before you go to anyone, whether, whoever that person may be, before you go, you need to pray for that person. And I don't mean like the disciples, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Like, I don't mean that prayer. I mean, one of the beauties of praying for another human being is it puts you in a, in, a, in a posture, in a place. It's an opportunity to get God's heart for that person, right? And, and what is God's heart, right? God's heart towards the world, every human being on planet Earth, God's heart is that not one would be lost. And if you're taking notes, that's right from the Bible, 2 Peter 3, 9, 2 Peter 3, 9, the heart of God is that not one would be lost. Another practical thing would be uh, in your Bible reading, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read them over and over and over. Why? Because the Gospels give us a front row seat on Jesus. Right? God in the flesh comes down to earth. Any questions you have about God, look at Jesus. And the beauty of the Gospels is you get to watch, read, see Jesus interacting with all kinds of different people. How does he talk to them? You know, how does he treat other people? I mean, the Gospel, it's just, we need to be reminded that our example, again, it's not our opinions, that is not the standard. Jesus is the example that you and I are meant to follow. And, And as we become aware of planks, again, any attitude, belief, conviction, action, or opinion by what you condemn or write off another human being or, or that does not line up with God's word, what do we do with those planks when you go, oh boy, I got, a, I got a big load of wood here. What do I do with it? It's so simple. You confess, you confess it, and you repent of it. I mean, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you have to get used to confessing sin and asking forgiveness. Because I don't know about you, but I sin every day. Well, I do know about you. We all do. It's part of our broken condition. And you know, when I was driving up on 71, you better believe I was confessing and asking God's forgiveness. As I'm driving along, it's like, oh, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking at all the wood in the rear view mirror stacked in the back seat. I'm like, oh God, I am so sorry. 
I, I do not see people the way you do. Oh God, I am a Pharisee. I am really good and really quick at judging and writing a person off. Oh God, would you give me your eyes to see people more and more the way you do? Would you give me your heart to love people the way that you do? Confession and repentance is nothing to be ashamed of. It is a gift. It is a gift to do that. And I know right now as I'm talking, for some people you're like, this is awesome. I love this talk. It's you know, just dripping with grace. And, but I know for some of you, maybe what I'm saying is maybe you're struggling right now. And you know, I have, there's no intent of stepping on any toes with a talk like this. Really, as I've read this passage over and over and over, I've, I'm just trying to be accurate to, to what Jesus is saying to us. And, you know, and I know for some of you, I think where you struggle is the exact same place where I struggle because as you're looking at what I'm saying, you're like, but wait a minute, what about the rules? What about the rules? Like, what about the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots? Like, it sounds like you're just kicking the door open and saying, ah, oh, come on. Like, right, we have a saying in the vineyard, which is come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And that goes to every person that comes through our door, right? Meaning, Come as you are. You come to Jesus as you are, but, but don't stay as you are. He wants to change you. He wants to grow you. And, and I know for some of you that, I, I guess, you know, what your challenge is, is like, like as followers of Jesus, aren't we, you know, with the, with the rules, like, aren't, aren't we supposed to be people that follow the word of God, right? And what we're talking about, like, I mean, I understand the grace, but aren't we, isn't it grace and truth? Well, what does the Bible say about what I'm, you know, talking about today? What do we see in the life of Jesus See, what we see over and over and over is that it doesn't start with judgment. That's not where it starts. Where it starts is with an invitation and an introduction to the love and mercy of Jesus. Here's what I mean. Romans 2, 1 to 4. Paul's talking to to followers of Jesus. He says, you, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. See, think about this. What brought you to Jesus? Right? When you came to Jesus, that may have been recent, it may have been years ago, but what brought you to Jesus? Right? Did Jesus in that day or that season of your life, did Jesus go, hey, good to meet you, I'm Jesus? You know, he he sort of intersected your life. Did he say, hey, we're going to start this relationship by, we're going to go through your P-file, you know, like your performance or your personal, like we're gonna go through this together and you might wanna open some windows because it's gonna get a little stinky in here. Right, is that how your relation with Je- relationship with Jesus started? Not at all. Right, how did it start? Or if you're, if you're here today and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, here's how it starts. You're at a place in your life where you're, you feel lost, confused, overwhelmed, afraid, whatever it is, and in that place, you heard something about Jesus, and you thought, if that is true, that is awesome. And you, in that hard, messed up place, you turned and looked towards him, and what, did, what was his response to your turning his way? Well, the Bible teaches that. The story of the prodigal son, he ran to you. 
and he put his arms around you and he kisses you. That's what that story tells us, right? And he totally, fully accepted you in whatever condition you were in. See, and the challenge is for many of us, we've forgotten that. See, because that, that love and kindness of Jesus, that wasn't just to get you in the door. That's, that's forever. That never changes. But here's, but let me, okay, grace, but truth. So let me tell you this. If you've walked with Jesus, if you've been walking with Jesus for, for months, for years, you know this is true. As you've been walking with him, have there not been times where he's walking with you? Oh, son, daughter, I love you so much. Hey, can we talk about this behavior? Right? Hey, he convicts you. He pokes in. Hey, can we talk about this attitude, son, daughter? I mean, hasn't that been the case for you? I've been walking with Jesus for many years, and I, I am, today, I am still a sinner, right? I'm still tempted and prone, but here's what I know in my life. As I've been walking with Jesus, he has pointed out areas of my life, and I know that I am a different man today than I was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I've got a long ways to go, but I know that I am more inclined to say yes to him than no, than it was. And isn't that not how it works? And again, I think we forget that. And that's where, that's where we judge incorrectly, is we're not judging from a place of, like my friend Joy, man, I love you, God loves you. He, you know, he can change, I mean, accepting someone right where they're at. So here's what we're gonna do to end off. Um, we're gonna give, this sounds funny to say it the way, but we're gonna give God an opportunity, so don't mess it up, God, but we're gonna give God an opportunity to just speak to us. And so why don't, why don't we stand up? What we're gonna do in a second is we are gonna read a couple verses which, from the Psalms, and they are, oh, there you go, uh, and they are a prayer, and it's basically a prayer. And so what we're gonna do is we'll read this through together and then I would encourage you, we're just gonna be quiet for a little bit. I would encourage you to close your eyes so you're not distracted. I would encourage you to engage your body. I like to open my hands. It's just a posture of, God, I'm open to you. I'm, I'm in a posture of, of receiving from you. So we're just gonna wait and let God do what we're reading here. Just let God come close and speak to us. So let's read this together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be, is any offensive way or plank in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So let's just quiet ourselves. So Lord, we welcome you here. Search us, God. I pray against distractions. Lord, let your kingdom come. We welcome your kingdom, your rule and reign. Come and just walk among us right now. Help us to tune into you, whether it's a thought, a picture, a word, whatever it is, I just pray that you tune us into you. So, so here, here's how we're gonna end off. You know, we always end our services with what we call ministry time, and it really is a time to respond to the Lord. And, you know, we invite folks forward for prayer, and, um, and really we just see that as coming to Jesus. And so I wanna invite some groups up, but, but it's open to anyone. If you had a sense of God, you know, tugging on your heart or nudging you, whatever it is, I would encourage you to, to respond to him. Um, first group would just be if, okay, if God revealed a, a plank, if he showed that to you, I would encourage you to come on up and, like I was saying, 
confess and repent. It's so simple and so necessary. 